0: Hello, this is William Fink of Christigenia.org and this is Christigenia Internet Radio. This program is being pre recorded for broadcast and, and publication at Christigenia Saturday evening, March 14th, 2020. Right now it is Thursday morning, and once again we are here with Truthvids to continue addressing Charles Weissman's What About the Seedline Line Doctrine. This is part five of that presentation. Hello, TruthFids, and thank you once again for joining me.
1: Hello, Bill. It's great to be back. I've uh, been really enjoying it so far, and I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, continuing and keep dismantling Charles Weissman's nonsense about uh, there not being two seed lines.
0: Well well at the rate at the rate this is going, it might take another two months. And and don't construe this as a complaint, but it's taking a lot longer than I expected to make this refutation of Weissman's lies. But that's okay. It must be done in detail if we are going to sufficiently demonstrate exactly why he's wrong and precisely why his arguments were often dishonest. And and sometimes it takes pages of refutation to disprove one lie. That's the way it is. So while I thought we could finish this um, discussion of of Weissman's presentation or, or opinions of the enmity of Genesis 3.15 in our last presentation, we didn't. Hopefully with this presentation, we can conclude that and then finally move on to chapter three of his book, which is titled The Serpent which we've already presented all those arguments to, I think, but we'll do it again just to see what he says. We've already discussed much of Weissman's argument concerning the enmity and how he used, or rather abused, three passages of scripture to somehow prove that the enmity between the serpent and the seed of the woman was ended at the crucifixion. In this endeavor, Weissman cited two passages from Paul, which are Colossians two fifteen and Hebrews chapter two verses fourteen and fifteen, and one passage from John found at one John chapter three verse eight. And I'm going to offer a brief summary of what we've already discussed, so that we could move ahead. First, it can be established that Paul's epistle to the Ephesians was written only a short time before his epistle to the Colossians, and that both epistles were written during the two-year period while he was in captivity in Rome. This is explained in a paper of Christogenia titled Ordering and Chronology of the Epistles of Paul, and it is beyond the scope of our purpose here to present that information again. So Weissman had cited Colossians chapter two, where Paul said that Christ had spoiled principalities and powers, triumphing over them in it, and he cited that as evidence that the enmity between the serpent and the seed of the woman was ended. But Paul had said in Ephesians chapter 6, which was written only a short time before that, that we, meaning the collective body of Christians, Wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians chapter 6, having been written about 30 years after the crucifixion, Paul's words at Colossians chapter 2 cannot possibly mean what Weissman had asserted that they mean furthermore weissman cannot possibly have written his remarks concerning colossians chapter 2 while being ignorant of what paul had said in ephesians chapter 6 and therefore i would assert once again that he must have purposely lied he couldn't have done that by accident then where Weissman cited First John chapter three, verse eight, which reads, "He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning; for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He made no explicit remarks in reference to the passage, but evidently only sought to use it to support his contention that the enmity is ended on the cross." apparently implying that the enmity was ended at that time because Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. However, reading 1 John chapter 3, it is apparent that the works of the devil would not be destroyed immediately, or John would not have continued in that chapter to warn his readers about the children of the devil and the antichrists who had already been born into the world. Doing that, John also explained that the children of God cannot sin while he acknowledged that all men sin and had told them in chapter 2 that if they sin, that they have a propitiation in Christ. All of this is rectified with the understanding that first, While all men sin, the children of God have been forgiven for their sins. They cannot sin if their seed is in them, meaning that they are truly sons and daughters of Adam, because in the end, sin will not be imputed to them. Paul explained that same thing in very different terms in Romans chapter 5. Then secondly, there is a distinction in John between the mere act of sinning and the authorship or origination of sin, and not only Weissman, but most mainstream commentators and translations miss the distinction entirely. Later, in his second epistle, John spoke about antichrists once again, and said, whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ He has both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that bids him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. This situation exists to this day, but Christians for at least several centuries have completely ignored John's warning. The situation can only be explained by the fact that Weissman is wrong and the enmity did not end with the crucifixion, as those who deny Christ, as John wrote those epistles, are certainly the seed of the serpent, the dragon, which continues to make war with the remnant of the seed of the woman. Note also that the verse of 1 John, which Weissman had quoted, says the devil sinned at the beginning, yet Weissman has not explained how rather he conveniently gets rid of the devil at the crucifixion, so that he does not have to explain it, where he made the false conclusion that Christ destroyed the serpent of genesis three fifteen a conclusion which is found to be false by even a casual reading of the revelation. We have already presented those arguments earlier in a series of presentations, where Weissman discusses the serpent in the next chapter of this book. We are sure to discuss it again. Finally, we explain that in citing Hebrews 2.14, Weissman also took that passage out of context, where the full context of the surrounding passages proves that his interpretation cannot be true. If the serpent is eliminated, and if the works of the devil are destroyed, then we should have no more sin, but men still sin, and men are still tempted by sin, because the culmination of these things has not yet transpired as after Christ ascended to heaven. As we read in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon was angry, not with Christ, but with the woman So he went to make war, not in heaven with Christ, but with the remnant of her seed, her seed which remained on the earth. This alone also proves that Weissman is completely wrong in his attempt to limit the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 to Christ himself. As we also already said, having the gospel of Christ which was not brought to them until after Christ was caught up into heaven. We see that the dragon, or Satan, certainly does still have power in the world, and Weissman is exposed as a liar. The children who are the partakers of flesh and blood in Hebrews chapter 2 are the seed of the woman with whom the dragon makes war in Revelation chapter seven. I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 12, and therefore the enmity is not yet ended. As that same Paul of Tarsus had attested in that same epistle, in Hebrews chapter 12, being tempted, sinning, and receiving chastisement, the brethren of Christ are corrected. Where Paul also explained that by this we know the children of God, where he says, But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards, and not sons. Saying that, Paul refers to the phenomenon of the wheat and the tares, since only the wheat receive correction in their sufferings. This is found in Amos chapter 3, where Yahweh was addressing the children of Israel, and he said, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. That's the chastisement of God, which Paul was describing in Hebrews chapter 12. It is also found in Jeremiah on a couple of occasions where it is also addressing the children of Israel. And it says in Jeremiah chapter 46, there's a very similar passage in Jeremiah chapter 30. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. That again is the chastisement which Paul describes in Hebrews chapter 12, and expects the sons of God to be corrected by that chastisement. And if one is not corrected, or if one refuses to be corrected in chastisement, one must be a bastard and not a son. If one is a son, if one is not a son, the only other alternative is that one is a bastard, describing someone of mixed race. And with that, we have to wonder about the origins of the races. Later, in the same chapter referring to Esau, who took wives of bastards, Paul wrote, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you. And that's a theme that we see in Jeremiah chapter two, And in Genesis, in reference to the Canaanites, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Paul uses that word fornication in 1 Corinthians 10 in relation to race-mixing. Esau, the fornicator, despised his birthright, mixed his race, and for that reason, he had also sold it to Jacob. Race mixing was the original agenda of the fallen angels. It is what men were punished for in Genesis chapter six. It is what Adam and Eve must have been punished for in Genesis chapter three. And it is still with us today, being promoted by the same descendants, the the descendants of the same fallen angels, as a part of the continuing enmity which the serpent has against the seed of the woman. But Weissman, confident that his three verses, or really two and a half verses which were taken out of context, would establish his assertion, then made the following conclusion. Christ destroyed the serpent of Genesis 3.15 and set Adamic man free of the bondage of sin and death imposed upon them by the works or acts of deception of the serpent. If Christ was destined to destroy this serpent and his works, it is logical that there would be enmity between him and the serpent and no one else. Now, if this is the case... How does the serpent or the dragon go on to make war with the remnant of the seed of the woman after the Christ child is caught up to heaven? How do we read in Revelation chapter 20 that an angel came down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years. And then, after the saints lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, long after the resurrection, we read, And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. How does this happen if the power of Satan and the devil himself were completely destroyed at the crucifixion or even at the resurrection of Christ, as Weissman contends? Then we read in the Revelation, and they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. What is the camp of the saints, if it is not the remnant of the seed of the woman with whom the dragon would make war in Revelation chapter 12? How is this not an expression of the enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman? How is Weissman not a deceiver, purposely seeking to hide these things from men? And and you're free to make any comments you would like.
1: Yeah, sure. I was just going to say, you know, just basic common sense. If you look at, um, you know, the Bible always speaks of the devil, Satan, the serpent ruling the world. And just, you know, if you're awake, you understand that the Jews ruled the world. So it becomes pretty obvious that they are the same people. The same camp. And at the same time, it speaks of uh, the fallen angels behind all this race mixing. And today, who's behind the race mixing agenda? It's the Jews. So, so it becomes more and more obvious if you just have a bit of common sense and just think things through that it's all linked together. And Weissman's whole theory just falls apart.
0: Well, well absolutely. Two Seed Line is the reality of history and can be can be demonstrated and and we will um i'll I'll cite daniel chapter seven a little further on it could be demonstrated in the prophets throughout the prophets throughout the psalms and 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 writings of david it's it's not he doesn't speak about the children of the devil in those terms he makes constant references to the wicked sometimes the wicked are children of israel who are, are acting in an evil manner but in many other places there are the wicked as opposed to sinners you have evil men who can repent and and be granted redemption by god and then you have the wicked who are all slated for destruction that there's clear distinctions in in many of the um psalms and writings of of David and the prophets of the Old Testament. We'll get into that further when we discuss the serpent in the next portion of of Weissman's work. But yes, this is manifest all throughout history. There's no doubt. Like, Like building a house of cards, Weissman keeps piling wrong conclusions atop of false premises, which we have already disproved. Now he makes another false statement and he says that the enmity was not with the lineage or seed of Adam, because the serpent had already subdued them by getting them to leave God's order and enter its order. Further, Adamic man never had the power or ability to free himself from that bondage, citing Hebrews 2.15, which we just discussed and, and discussed last week. The only One who could undo the bondage which the serpent caused or brought upon Adam and his descendants was Christ. Now, not everything Weissman says is all wrong. A lot of it's right, and it's mixed with his subtle little lies and deceptions. There is no doubt that for various reasons, Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, meaning that Yahweh knew that Adam would fall and that he would later have to come as a man and die in order to reconcile himself to the children of Israel. But because there are multiple levels of promises, which God had made first to the Adamic race and then to the children of Israel exclusively, there are multiple dimensions to the reasons for the necessity of a Messiah, ultimately hearkening back to genesis chapter 3 and the time of adam yahweh had to be responsible for his children yahweh had to be responsible for his own creation so at that dimension the entire adamic race is reconciled to god in christ but on a on a more narrow level Christ redeemed the children of Israel specifically by freeing them from the law, from the penalties of the law, as Paul had written in Romans chapter 7, in the first four verses of Romans chapter 7, so that they could be reconciled to God, being freed from the penalties of the law. The truth does not end at the claim that Adam and Eve were under the order of the serpent, something Weissman could never establish, so he didn't even try. But upon having been alienated from God, Adam and Eve and most of their descendants had indeed been subjected to the powers of darkness and have an assurance of deliverance in Christ. Many of our brethren in this time are still under the powers of darkness, because they do not keep the commandments of Christ, so they have not separated themselves from the evil which is in the world. However, the sin they commit is not merely some thought crime. Esau, led astray, had committed miscegenation, as Paul called him a fornicator, which is a race mixer in that context. Weissman wrote a book on Esau, But he failed to adequately explain why it was that all of Esau's progeny were rejected in perpetuity. The only explanation is that they were bastards and not sons. This race-mixing agenda of the devil is one important manifestation of the ongoing enmity which the seed of the serpent has against the seed of the woman the truth is that adam and eve were given one law at genesis two seventeen. but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest of it thereof thou shalt surely die so they touched the tree and they faced death they and their descendants who were made to be immortal in the image and likeness of god This is explained in chapter 2 of the Wisdom of Solomon, for God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of his own eternity. Nevertheless, through envy of the devil came death into the world. Here, Weissman implies that Adam's being under the order of the serpent was the bondage of which Paul spoke in Hebrews 2.15, where he cited which he cited in parentheses. But reading Hebrews 2.15, we see that Weissman lies again. Let us read verses 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, and that deliver through death, I'm sorry, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage while the devil had the power of death that was executed by tempting men to sin being the author of sin men were in bondage to death which is a penalty the penalty for sin in the law death is never the penalty for mere thoughts in the law, but only a penalty for tangible acts which are described in the law. Neither was Adam in bondage to the serpent, but to death itself as a penalty for his sin which was stated in the only law which he was given. So Paul wrote in Romans chapter eight, for the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death weissman is pulling a typical jewish bait and switch tactic so that he could misrepresent the law and the punishment for sin in a manner which deceives men into thinking that something other than a sexual transgression had occurred in genesis chapter 3. it is weissman who is perpetrating the thought crime we know we know through Christ that the devil really has no power over us. And especially if we don't sin.
1: Yeah. And it was as we was uh, speaking about last week, how they're always trying to tempt us and lure us into sin. You see that every day around you, they're pandering and it's always the same people, the Jews.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. They were they, the, um, the signal panderers throughout medieval european history it it was the Jew who got the lords and the barons into debt so that the Jew could then exploit them for his political purposes and and then it was the jew and and this is um rife in the literature of medieval England. It was the Jew who sought to get the people into debt and take their properties. For which reason the mortgage was created. When before the, before the mortgage was created, before the financial laws of the Shitar, which are taken from the Talmud, were made the financial laws of England, you couldn't take a man's land from him for debt. It, 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 it wasn't lawful, and it became lawful. It's, there are many levels of, of this, this um, deception and the way that the Jew has undermined Christian society, which go back 500, 600, 1,000 years. I mean, you, you can't really give it any one starting point, but you will understand it if you study it in the context of Two Seed Line and know the nature of the characters involved. It, it's very clear that the French Revolution, the, the Masonic um, concepts of liberty and egalitarianism, equality, were, all came from the same secret societies which, which were basically formed by Jews or, or taken over by Jews in, in the medieval times.
1: Yeah. And um, many of the laws that we take for granted now were all invented by Jews. Uh, as you said, for example, with taking a man's house, um, you know, we, we consider it normal. But there was a time when it wasn't normal. Uh, that's what a lot of people don't realize, it, especially like now that, you know, pornography is allowed, um, you know, divorce, um, usury, etc., cetera, et cetera. There was a time we didn't have any of this.
0: Absolutely, no-fault divorce laws only came into popularity, I think, in the 1950s and 60s. States started passing these no-fault divorce laws. No-fault divorce laws are evil, but because a, a wife who's or or a husband who's lord but by some whoremonger, but by some Casanova, can can easily be led away from the house. And divorce can be filed for and nobody's at fault and the property split when the offending p- partner really doesn't deserve anything. A-, a wife who cheats on her husband doesn't deserve anything. She should just be put out of the house as it was in biblical times. Yeah,
1: and now it's completely flipped where the woman can just kick the guy out and take everything.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's really evil. And, and the passing of these no-fault divorce laws ha- has actually increased divorce and it's increased marital infidelity in exponential terms. And that's just one problem in modern society. In, in ancient Rome, yeah, you had that. Have... But it's
1: all been planned by this serpent, the Jews.
0: Right. In, in ancient Rome, you had to have real good reason to divorce, even in Rome. And that no-fault divorce laws didn't exist. And if a woman cheated on her husband and he divorced her, she lost everything. She, wasn't, she didn't get anything. No property, no children, nothing. And she would lose her dowry, or at least a portion of it, depending on the reason for the divorce. So that kept wives at home. That kept wives um, faithful understanding the risks, and it works the other way for husbands. Weissman then claims that we do not consider why enmity would exist, and that this claim is actually bold-faced. And he says, the reason for the enmity is the conflicting objectives and results that the serpent and Christ had in relation to Adamic man. The serpent induced Eve, and thereby Adam, to sin, Sin had dominion over them and their descendants, but Christ removed that dominion. The serpent caused Adam to come under its worldly order or kingdom, but Christ delivered us from this evil world and brought us into his kingdom. The serpent was responsible for death coming upon Adam and his kind, but Christ restored them to life. The serpent caused the curse of the law upon us. But Christ redeemed us from this curse. And actually, sin did not have dominion over Adam or his descendants. Only death did. And for that reason, Paul explained in Romans. And and Weissman, and I didn't read his citations, but Weissman, in relation to the statement which he made, he cited Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Galatians chapter 3, and John chapter 10. But sin did not have dominion over Adam or his descendants, only death did. And for that reason, Paul explained in Romans that while sin was not imputed where there was no law, that nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over them, who had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. In other words, even if Adam's descendants did not commit the same sin which he did, death nevertheless reigned over them. However, later, the children of Israel were bound by the law of Sinai. So they were under a different circumstance. So while Christ redeemed them, from the curses of the law. The other descendants of Adam were bound by death, but not by the law, not by sin or the law. But now it must be explained that we have considered why the enmity would exist. But Weissman did not consider or attempt to explain why the serpent would target Eve, ostensibly using her as a way to undermine Adam in the first place i would venture to state that if our scriptures were complete the reason for the serpents having targeted eve the reason why adam was told was told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would be quite clear and i'm going to read a, a very um fragmented passage from the dead sea scrolls a new translation by Michael Wise, Martin Abag, Jr., and Edward Cook. On page 247, there is a translation of the scroll known as 1Q23, fragments 1 and 6, which is a part of the Enoch literature that was preserved in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there it explains that the fallen angels had taken... 200 donkeys, 200 asses, 200 rams of the flock, 200 goats, 200 beasts of the field from every animal, from every bird for miscegenation. This is the sin of the fallen angels. This is how they rebelled against God, by corrupting his creation. And therefore the serpent was in the garden.
1: It seems that they were experimenting.
0: Well, well, yes, it does seem that it does absolutely seem that, and in our most ancient mythology and folklore, we have all of these um, all of these depictions and and myths about hybrid animals like centaurs and satyrs and griffins. So when Adam is created and commanded not to touch of that tree, Yahweh declares that. It is not good that the man should be alone i will make him a helpmate for him paul of tarsus used similar language evidently taking this as an example where he wrote to the where he wrote to the corinthians about marriage that nevertheless and and this is first corinthians chapter seven that nevertheless to avoid fornication let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband now fornication is race mixing as paul used the term in hebrews chapter 12 and in first corinthians chapter 10 but fornication can also be um prostitution so to avoid fornication let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband then using the seduction of Eve in Genesis chapter 3 as a model for what happens when a husband or wife is tempted by another. He said just a few verses later, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again that Satan Tempt you not for your incontinency. Adam and Eve were evidently apart from one another, and Satan tempted Eve for her incontinency. And there we have a further proof in Paul of what had really happened in Genesis chapter three. So in Genesis chapter two, I'm sorry. In Genesis chapter two, after God had determined that Adam must have a wife, We read in verse 19, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was found not a helpmate for him this too is a parable since yahweh did not expect adam to find a wife among the beasts where he had already said i will make a helpmate for him rather yahweh wanted adam to understand that he could not find a suitable wife among the beasts then after yahweh creates eve we see the declaration by adam that this is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. With this, it should be evident that the Genesis 2 creation account is a parable representing the antithesis to the sin of the fallen angels. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, as as you said, uh, I believe last week that it shows you that uh, if if a man or woman feels temptation, that, that that's why they should have a husband or wife to keep them, you know, from falling astray or, you know, going on one night stands. That a husband or wife can keep you straight and keep you stable, and that's how we should be in life.
0: Absolutely, because we have what well, we're just what well, we're just men. We have hormones, and and it's the same for woman, and and hormones can't be controlled, and hormones, if we're healthy, give us urges. And those urges, there are times when we can't control them, and they have to be satisfied. That's why it's good to have a wife, so that you don't go off committing fornication. Yeah, exactly. The enmity existed, because once the angels sinned, Yahweh created the Adamic race in order to supplant their old and corrupted order. So when Adam was created, we see a divine counsel. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Another answer to the sin of the fallen angels. And then Yahweh himself created man. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then once he was created, Adam was commissioned to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And that word translated as to have dominion literally means to trample down or trample upon. Weissman is correct that the Adamic race then fell under the order of the serpent. But that was due to the race-mixing events of Genesis chapters 3 and 6, so Weissman does not tell the whole story. Genesis 3.15 is indeed a prophecy outlining what was the plan of God all along, that he himself, along with the Adamic race which he created to be his brethren, would ultimately trample upon the serpent and destroy all the works of the fallen angels. Weissman admits... That there was an order of the serpent. But hold it. Let's think about this a moment. And, and I didn't write this into my notes. But let's think about this for one moment. If the serpent had an order. Well, if the serpent had just been created by God. Why would the serpent have an order of its own? What's going on there? What is What, what does Weissman know? And refuses to admit. Although his own words. Prove that he really knows it. How does the serpent have an Yeah, order? there
1: must be a rebellion.
0: How in something Genesis, against God? Right. How in Genesis chapter 3 is there a serpent who's really a person that has its own order? What is and Weissman goes on to deny two seed line while at the same time he's admitting it. What's going on here? Weissman is such a fucking fraud. Yeah, I said it that way. There's a reason for that. <laughs> he's a fucking fraud. He's a fraud. He, he's exposed himself right here. And at the same time, he reduces all of this to a mere bad idea or wrong thinking on the part of Adam and Eve. Then Weissman said, The serpent caused the curse of the law upon us. But Christ redeemed us from this curse. Well, the law, the only law given was not to touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And men suffered death even if they didn't um, sin in that same way that Adam had sinned. But the law wasn't given until Sinai. And there were no curses of any other law until Sinai. The Adamic race, except for that one law, they couldn't have been punished for any other law. Paul himself said that the, the law was that, that sin was in the world, but not the law. That sin would not be imputed unless there was a law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. But where the part where Weissman said that the serpent caused the curse of the law upon us is not true. The law has curses. But the law itself is not a curse. The same Paul had said in Galatians that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. So the law is good. As Paul also said in his epistle to the Romans, I consent unto the law that it is good. And in First Timothy, but we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. The law contained both blessings and curses, as we read, for example, in Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29. And the curses of the law came upon the children of Israel when they sinned, as it is also described in those chapters. Those sins which cause curses are all tangible acts and not thought crimes, But just before Paul had said in Galatians that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, Paul described the rituals of the law as a curse, where he said, for as many as are of the works of the law, and that's a term which we have proven at Christogenia refers to the rituals of the law. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So this must be the curse to which Paul was referring in verse 13. Having written the Galatians in order to persuade them not to follow after the Judaizers, who would attempt to hold them to the rituals of the law, which is translated works of the law in the King James version. Once again, Weissman takes a passage out of context and twists it to support his twisted position. In any event, the law itself was certainly not a curse. Only the penalties for disobedience to the law were considered curses. And that includes the rituals.
1: Yeah. And, um, Yeah, and Bill, um, you know, the laws, one of the greatest things uh, Christ gave to us, you know, apart from eternal life and mercy, uh, all, all great civilizations, they were built on having good laws. The better the laws, the more vibrant and wealthy and better off any civilization was. You can look at any past white Adamic society like Egypt, you know, Persia and then Rome, which had even better laws, and then Christianity, which surpassed them all. It was all built on good laws and everybody obeying them.
0: Well, well right. And, and, and you can't have a, a society without a, a basic code of ethics so that you can, you can judge and love and respect one another according to that code of ethics. Revelation chapter 22 is a vision of the city of God. It's a vision of the future because there's no more tree of knowledge of good and evil, but there's still a tree of life. It's a vision of the future and it says, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And it's written in the present tense in a vision of the future it's not written in the past tense blessed are they who did his commandments but blessed are they who do his commandments even in the city of god there will be commandments that men are expected to live by so there will still be law because the law is eternal the rituals of the law are another story but the law, the commandments, that code of behavior that the law expresses, that's eternal. That's the real natural law. In the next passage, while he does not describe it explicitly, Weissman admits the truth of the foundation for two seed line, while at the same time, he denies two seed line. He says to better understand this enmity, one must put himself in the serpent's place. Suppose you were told that someone was coming to destroy all that you accomplished to destroy your order in the world. How is he not talking about fallen angels? How does he deny that the serpent was a fallen angel? In fact, yeah. I, I have a, um, a problem in grammar here and, and I'm going to correct it on a fly. I don't know if this is a typo in Weiss, Weissman's book or in my copy of it. In fact, he would destroy you and would then establish his order, which you were against. You Would you not have enmity toward that person? Weissman describes the serpent as a person. Weissman describes the serpent as having an order. How does this happen in Genesis chapter 3 if the serpent is not representative of the fallen angels? Weissman's admitting to seed line while he denies it. How could that be? How could it, it, this is not Weissman is not stupid. He's doing this. He's being purpose.
1: very tricky here.
0: He is being purposely deceptive. Okay, let's look at Genesis. There's no fallen angels. That's something that's predicted of, of the future in Revelation. That's Weissman's position, I believe. There's no fallen angels. It's Genesis chapter 3. God made the world in six days. God created all the snakes. He created the serpent. He created the beast of the field. He created all this stuff already. And then he creates Adam and Eve. And now it's Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent starts talking to Eve to deceive her. Okay. How does a simple snake, which Yahweh created, deceive Eve? How does a simple snake have its own world order? Uh, I mean, this is impossible unless Two Seed Line is correct and the angels already fell and the angels already corrupted creation and now Adam and Eve were planted by God to supplant that order of the angels. That's what Weissman's admitting here. He's admitting Two Seed Line and the serpent puts a a, um, stumbling block in that plan by seducing Eve and and corrupting Adam. That is what Weissman's admitting here, but he's denying it at the the same time. He's doing this on purpose. Weissman is a serpent. Anybody who falls for this is just plain stupid. (laughs) Well, Adam was, as we learn in Luke, the son of God. Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, as we learn in John. So Yahweh knew that Adam would fail from the beginning, and this war between his people and the seed of the serpent would carry on throughout history. Just because Adam would only have victory in Christ, which is true, does not remove Adam and his descendants from the equation of the enmity, and throughout history, they have been the targets of the serpent's wrath. Supporting what we have interpreted from Revelation chapter 12, that the dragons making war with the remnant of the woman's seed is an ongoing manifestation of the enmity of Genesis chapter three, is Daniel chapter seven. There is a description of a dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and an 11th of which Daniel says, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Revelation chapter 22. Weissman understood that the serpent represented a world order, and that he was not just a simple snake. Weissman understood that the serpent was against the order of God. Indirectly, Weissman admits that the creation of Adam and Eve was contrary to the order of the serpent. But then he throws all of this knowledge away with a conclusion, which we have already refuted. And he says, this was the relationship between the serpent and Christ, the two seeds of Genesis 3.15. The point of contention is between them, not between two races of people. Three primary explicit witnesses stand against that conclusion by Charles Weissman, which are Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 20, and Daniel chapter seven. There are many others, some of which we have already cited, some of which we will cite as we discuss the serpent. But if the enmity were not between two races of people, why would the serpent target Adam and Eve in the first place And why was Adam told ahead of time what punishment he would have, what punishment he would suffer, if he succumbed by touching the tree? Then in part, Weissman concludes this section by reasserting his most glaring error here, where he once again states in relation to the enmity of Genesis 3.15, that many of the satanic seed-line position believe that this enmity still exists. They say, we are now nearing the climax of the enmity spoken in Genesis 3.15. Then he responds, no, that is not true. The climax was reached 2,000 years ago. So I guess Weissman doesn't really expect a second coming. He doesn't really expect the real climax described in Revelation chapter 19. He doesn't really expect that will happen. And if that were so, if the real climax was reached 2,000 years ago, why would the dragon go off to make war with the remnant of the woman's seed and gather all of the nations from the four corners of the world against the camp of the saints after Christ had already ruled for at least 1,000 years? If it were so, Why would Daniel state that the little horn would make war with the saints and prevail against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom? Just before the ascension of Christ, the apostles asked him, as it is recorded in Acts chapter 1, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? To that he only answered... It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. So if we still have war, and if the saints of the Most High do not yet possess the kingdom of God on earth, then Charles Weissman is a purposeful liar because he could not have been ignorant of these verses in Daniel chapter 7 or in Revelation chapter 12 or in Revelation chapter 20 We have stated that before, and our answer stands, because Weissman can insist all he wants, but he has no proof of his premise. The words of Christ himself, as well as his apostles and prophets, refute Charles Weissman at every turn. Wow. He had to be lying purposely in order to deny two seed line. Even when he admits it,
1: yeah. And, and if it's all over, if it was over 2000 years ago, then but then why does Christ even have to return? You know, shouldn't we be in heaven now? Who's he saving us from? You know, what's he saving us from if it's all been done? It right. just doesn't make sense.
0: And, and the description of the return of Christ is quoted by by Jude that he comes with. Um, I'm going to dig it up real quick and 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 read it from Jude. Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter in Jude. So it's Jude, verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, and, and Jude was speaking in relation to the angels that left their first estate, who he called raging waves of the sea, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Jude said, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Did he come to judge at the first advent? No. He told us that he did not come to judge to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds that word convinces actually convict which they have ungodly committed and all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him And, and this description of the return of Christ is described in Revelation chapter 19 and he comes to make war and to destroy all of his enemies what? Where their bodies are depicted as laying in the fields, being eaten by animals, by vultures.
1: So, who are his enemies?
0: <laughs> well, well, right, exactly. <laughs> who are they? That they're clearly the the um the nations which Satan had gathered together against the camp of the saints, because that's why he's coming to save us. It, it's Weissman is purposely. Was purposely preventing people from finding this message, even though he admitted with his own mouth where he described the serpent as a person having an order, having its own order which was contrary to God's order. That was Weissman's description, and and he admitted with his own mouth that two C line is true, while speaking out of the other side of his mouth that it's not true.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's almost like he was there to for people a kind of. Getting towards this message, thinking about it, that he brings them in halfway and then brings them back out. You know that was his purpose, to kind of agree with it, but then disagree with
0: it. Well, well, absolutely. That that's absolutely true. That's exactly why I think he was there. Why I think he was there. And and it's a shame. But many supposedly or, or presumably intelligent. Christian identity, so-called pastors, they followed right after Charles Weissman with this, Ted Weiland and, and um, Stephen Jones and, and Pete Peters, that they all loved this book by Charles Weissman. And, and, and it's clearly deceptive. It doesn't take a, you don't have to decode it for long. <laughs> Before, <laughs> decoding Charles Weissman is pretty simple to find out that he's a fraud.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, he, he just really doesn't want to blame anything on the Jews. He goes right out of his way just to disprove anything uh, about their satanic origin. Um, you know, and a lot of Judeo-Christians, I can understand, are uncomfortable with the subject. But Charles Weisman, he clearly, you know, has been around the material and he knows it, but he just doesn't want to go there. The only conclusion is that he must have an agenda.
0: Absolutely. And and this enmity is so obvious. What when um when Christ was caught up and, and the apostles began to distribute the message, they were persecuted by the Herods, by the Edomite Jews. That they, they were James was slain in forty-one AD by Herod Agrippa I, who was an Edomite Jew, and the elder James the brother of Christ was slain in 61 or 62 AD by the Edomites of, of the family of the, of, of the family of the high priest, the Sadducees, who had um, ultimately sparked the rebellion against Rome in 65. James was stoned by one of the Edomite Sadducees. Um, Paul was persecuted by them they wanted to kill Paul but Paul was a Roman citizen so he escaped to Rome so they had him killed in Rome instead because Nero's wife Papahia was in bed with the Jews so I'm sure that the odds were stacked against Paul in Rome and and by the same collection of people the first century saw the end of the first century saw that apostolic Christianity was nearly persecuted out of existence even though the, the letters of the apostles were preserved, in the middle of the second century, universalist Christianity had already taken its place. Christianity which abandoned covenant theology that the apostles were teaching and accepted replacement theology that certain Jews were teaching. That happened by the middle of the second century in the time of Justin Martyr who was a replacement theologian, the same way evangelicals are today. And from that time, the Jews continued, even though it was a corrupted form of Christianity, the Jews continued to persecute it all the way up to the time of Constantine and even a little beyond that. And when they couldn't persecute it out of existence, the Alexandrians had already undermined it, and they continued to undermine it until it became universalist Roman Catholicism, preaching egalitarianism as long as you believe in, profess to believe in Jesus. And, and we're all the same. So that's the same. <laughs> what happened with the Catholic Church and how that developed was basically the same sin of Genesis chapter 6 all over again. Fortunately... The colonial period didn't begin for another 900 years so so that christianity had a a good chance to take root in europe and a wonderful civilization developed on on the tail of that so the, the rest once that civilization fully developed and and the colonial period started we've just gone downhill from there to the point where now we're overrun with aliens And the fact that we're overrun with aliens, with non-whites and and with all these other races proves that that's the fulfillment of the Camp of the Saints scenario in Revelation chapter 20, because it is clearly the Jews, the international Jews, who have um, lobbied for all this immigration, who have caused all these problems that have caused us to become overrun with aliens, I don't know how you could not see the manifestation of enmity throughout that entire history. As soon as Europe adopted Christianity, the Jews w- were ostracized from European society because they rejected Jesus and and because of the 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 sins, the unchristian sins that they constantly, um, they they constantly committed, su- such as the usury problem and usury was being a ban- what was being banned in Europe based on Christianity, based on Christian principles, usury was banned in Europe among Christians, which is virtually all of Europe for nearly a thousand years. And that ostracized the Jew, that and, and the banning of many other sins, ostracized the Jew from society. And Jews were excluded from society. They were excluded from holding public office. They were excluded from holding Christian slaves and and a whole lot of other things that basically ostracized them to the point that the Jews went to Arabia and militantized the Arabians by creating Islam. And the Jews brought these militantized muslim arabs against christendom they, they organized them into armies and brought them against christendom invaded the byzantine empire invaded the gothic kingdom of spain and and sought to destroy it that enmity had, had as soon as europe became christian that enmity manifested itself in the muslim and the turkish invasions of europe which lasted for a thousand years for 1200
1: years yeah and uh, the jews always claim it was racial hatred that why they got kicked out 200 times but it was always their deeds you know the works they did I, i remember reading um when they came over to england um they were given the best land because you know they really believed these were the children of israel and they said you know here you go have some farmland uh, you know, set up a civilization, but the Jews don't want to work. They immediately began doing their usury and their child killing, you know, kidnapping children and their rituals. And that's what always got them kicked out. It was always what they did.
0: I don't know how anybody that claims to be identity and claims to know the identity of the 12 tribes in in the European nations how they could not see this enmity all throughout history, how because it, it's it's perfectly obvious it it's clear I mean you can't miss this unless you're purposely missing it. The Jews began to subvert the Roman yeah, Catholic Church in the twelfth century jew Jewish conversos began writing all of the Bible commentaries and the reformers were reading bible commentaries written by Jews formulating their protestant outlook on on Jews and and their doctrine in general on bible commentaries written by Jews
1: yeah i was going to say it was it's a lot harder to tell um you know pre-christianity because you can't discern the wheat from the tares Like you look at the uh, crumbling of Egypt and Persia and Babylon, you know, and Greece and Rome. It's really difficult to tell. But I would strongly suspect there were a lot of these uh, descendants of Cain who had worked themselves up. And they even speak of the money changers. But as soon as you get to uh, the Christian era, you can very clearly see, you know, the difference in, um, you know, the two seed lines, how they were completely different to us. They could never live Christian lives. And that why, that, that's why they always tried to destroy us, so they could reset up their uh, Sodom and Gomorrah-type societies, which they're trying to do today.
0: Absolutely. And, and whenever you see a Sodom and Gomorrah-type society emerge, you should know that there are Jews behind that. Sodom and Gomorrah <laughs> yeah. has never been manifested in, in, in um, Christian civilization unless it was by the hands of the Jews. And, and I, I think the first, uh, I mean, I, I've heard stories uh, or read allusions to debauchery in medieval Spain, medieval Portugal. But I, I think the real um, first large-scale manifestation of Sodom and Gomorrah in modern times was Weimar Germany. And, and it was after the, the, the victory of the English in, in the First World War. And the oppression of Germany and the purposeful depression of the German economy, that the um, the Weimar Germany, people that could get money from outside the country, which are the Jewish merchants, could take control in Weimar Germany and, and thrive on the debauchery, the resulting debauchery, when, when women and children... Boys and girls were being forced into prostitution and and all sorts of sin because the German economy was raided. It was looted and pillaged after the Versailles Treaty.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty crazy how immediately all the theaters and, you know, the plays immediately changed to, um, you know, women having an affair, uh, transgender, homosexuality. Immediately, and um, we got all the filth and prostitution, and that's why Hitler came to get rid of it all. Um, you can you can clearly see wherever they go, they always recreate Sodom and Gomorrah. It's in their genetics. It's, you know they can't change what they are.
0: No, and and even Israel in Palestine today is one of the most debauched, debased, and and L G B T Q friendly places in the world abortion is free abortion on demand free for anyone who wants it It, it's it's absolutely sodom and gomorrah and god's not going to be mocked
1: yeah the whole um you know the good jewish family is all a con um you know i used to fall for that years ago before i came to see i you you really believe oh you know they really uh do have the amount of times um, they'll go into transgenderism, homosexuality, you know, affairs they're really to try and keep up that they are the children of Israel. That's the only reason they keep putting it in the news, you know?
0: Absolutely. I, I'm even, um, I'm hearing that this tranny agenda in the United States is really being pushed by one Jewish billionaire who's a tranny and and i have to get my um i i I, i've just heard that a few times in the past couple of weeks i don't remember the family name but i I have to get my head around that and see what's going on it's um there's there's no doubt that it's just a, a a small um minority of very rich very wealthy international jews who have been behind all of this the abortion push the no-fault divorce law push, who had been behind all of this push towards Sodom and Gomorrah, which we've seen these last hundred years. And, and it's very clear, In—in in, in, if you read The International Jew by Henry Ford, the early stages of this are spelled out. The court cases that the Jews were bringing against um, Christian local Christian governments in the 19th century started this, this entire push, which we are seeing the end result of today is homosexual marriage and, 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 um, gender, that uh, this transgenderism, it's sick and it's all Jews that have always been behind all of this. This enmity is, um, the feminist movement. There were Jews behind that. It, it's whatever perversion you want to think of in modern society you could scratch the surface and you'll find a jew
1: yeah and um you know you really wonder are, are they going to try and um have another bolshevik type revolution to just completely wipe out the adamic race once and for all and um, they must be like planning it gradually
0: yeah right well well you know what if we don't resist it will be gradual it it will be gradual i'm going to talk about that friday night i'm I'm presenting a um a compare sermon or perhaps two compare sermons I, i i still have to determine that but but if we do not resist the decay and the corruption and the undermining are gradual because we're compliant we're just sheep going along with our own destruction.
1: If yeah. we resist Yeah, I, I mean I guess it's um if we resist it's a topic for your um end times update with Dom Fox, but like right. with the um you know coronavirus, it's all leading to something the the last final stages of this enmity between the two seed lines.
0: Well well, you know, even in the ancient Roman Republic it lasted five hundred years because when there was an outside threat, the Roman Senate gave exclusive and absolute power to one man who would be dictator to fight the outside threat. And he had power as dictator for as long as the outside threat lasted. It could be two years, four years. It could be invasions by the Celts or or uprisings among the Greeks or whatever. The absolute dictator had power, absolutely, until the threat was ended. And then he came to Rome and turned power over back to the people of the Senate so that Rome could be a republic once again. But today, in today's world, when there's some crisis like 9-11 and there was the Patriot Act as a response to 9-11 or whatever, when some crisis occurs, all these new draconian, tyrannical laws are put into place which increase government control and when the crisis passes the laws are never reversed they remain in place
1: yeah exactly they need a constant terror or something on the back burner which they can bring up so that they can uh, gradually get more and more control until our people would just let them do whatever they want where the government has um, you know nothing in their way that they can seize any business they want, move people around, just do whatever they want.
0: Right. There's no doubt. It's 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 there's a rapid acceleration down the steep down the slope into tyranny, and it's probably going at the same rate as the rapid acceleration down the same slope into Sodom and Gomorrah, because the even the, the deviancy has been enforced by law.
1: Oh yeah, and I'm sure they can see, um, you know, the backgrounds. Because all we can do is look out the window and look around, but they can actually see figures in front of them, so they know how bad things are. And perhaps the Jews at the top, you know, the the real smart ones, they know Babylon's gonna fall. So rather than let it fall of its own accord, they'll gradually bring it down whilst they still have this beast system in place to try and move all the pieces around to their advantage for the last battle.
0: Well, I don't know if the events in today's news are are going to be the fall of Babylon. I mean, the stock market's down 25% and, and, and coronavirus is closing more and more schools. I don't think this is going to last long, but it is going to put new laws in place that that help increase that the government power over the people i have no doubt about that
1: oh yeah with with all these events you always got to look at the end result and
0: i'm sorry you dropped the and as you little. said
1: they never reverse them but then you always see why the event was brought into place in the first place
0: right right you've cut out a few times in in the last 20 minutes but they've been really short but i believe we still had the gist of everything that you've said.
1: Yeah, okay. Sorry, the weather's a bit bad here.
0: Yeah, it, seem, <laughs> it seems to be because it's a nice, beautiful, sunny day here, so I have a good satellite connection, which is amazing. <clears throat> okay, I guess the, that that wraps up our discussion of Weissman's discussion on the Emity. Right. And I really believe that Weissman's been exposed as as being very deceptive and even on many occasions creating direct lies, but he's also exposed himself as understanding two seed line and believing it because it's he that claims that the serpent had its own order and that the serpent's a person. He's admitted this in his rebuttal of two seed line. He's admitted these things which prove two seed line.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um as we keep saying, it's very clear he knows what he's doing, and uh you know, he seems to just completely want to dismantle two seed line, but keep the rest of his books selling.
0: right it, it seems or at simple. least did
1: when he was still alive, sorry.
0: Right. I, I agree, and his other books, they had their shortcomings also, but <sighs> what can I say? His other books proved two seed line too, while well, he denied it. His origins of race and civilization he talked about all of these pre-Adamic races. Well, who are they? I mean, they're not created by Yahweh in Genesis. They could only be from fallen angels, but that's another story for another time.
1: Along with the book, it's going to get worse and worse. Uh, we briefly brought up the Talmud, but he's going to start saying two seed lines, witchcraft, um, you know, evil magic, and, and all crazy stuff. But we'll get to that.
0: Okay, I I lost you for for a long time there. Like I heard from on with the book as as we go on with the book, it's going to get worse. I don't know if you said anything before that.
1: Yeah, um, we briefly mentioned how we tried to compare it to the Talmud or say they originated in the Talmud, but it's going to get even worse. He's going to start saying it comes from witchcraft and, you know, all, all kind of stuff like that. But we'll get to that later.
0: So he's like a Charlottesville prosecutor trying to throw in every possible charge and even the proverbial kitchen sink, hoping that something sticks. Exactly. Okay. Thanks for joining me, TruthFids. And and it's been wonderful. And we'll see you soon with part six and and a discussion of Weissman's spin on the serpent.
1: Yeah, that's great. I really look forward to it, Bill. Praise Yahweh, God of Israel, the white race, not the God of the evil Jews and all the devils out there. Thank you, Bill.
0: Thank you. Praise Yahweh.